Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have in the studio here Chaplain David Smith. He has been the correctional chaplain at the Hamilton Aged and Infirm Correctional Facility in Hamilton, Alabama since 2007. He is also a graduate of Beeson Divinity School. So welcome back to Beeson, David. Thank you. It was very good to be back. We're delighted to talk to you today about prison ministry. That's what you do. That's what God has called you to do and equipped you to do. I think uh, this is maybe the first podcast interview on prison ministry we've had since we interviewed Chuck Colson at the very beginning of our Beeson podcast. So That isn't intimidating at all. So. <laughs> well, Chuck is listening in from heaven, I'm sure, and will be interested in what you have to say. But before we get to the prison ministry itself, tell us a little bit about your own background, your family, where you're from, that sort of thing. Sure. I am originally from Hamilton, Alabama. I grew up in the same city where the prison is. When I came to Samford in Beeson, um, and I started in Samford in 2000 and then graduated from Beeson in 2004, uh, I had no idea that I would eventually end up back home in my hometown and mm. especially in the prison. Yeah. Uh, that was the uh, farthest idea of ministry I had. Now, Hamilton is in the northern part of Alabama. It is in Marion County. It is just seven miles away from the Mississippi line. Okay. So really northwest. Yes. Uh, Alabama. Tell us a little bit about your family. You're married and sure. have a family. I married uh, Heather, and we have two children. Uh, Emmy Claire is nine, and then I have Owen, who is just like his mother. We're paying for her raising. Uh, he is five now. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit how you became a prison chaplain. Right, sure. It actually starts with my family. Uh, we, I was ministering in a church in Talladega. And our daughter had just been born. She is, I would say, six months old. And my wife had a job offer in Hamilton. Uh, she is a social worker. Mm. And we prayed about it. We thought about it. And we really liked the idea of raising uh, our daughter in our hometown, right next door to her grandparents. Mm -hmm. And so we committed to the move. Uh, the only problem was is that I didn't have a job offer until uh, one of my friends mentioned the uh, prison chaplaincy. And I, like I said, that was not on my uh, screen as far as ministry ideas, uh, so, but I thought about it, prayed about it, uh, and I submitted my application and interviewed and freaked out, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> when the warden of the prison called and said, uh, we would like for you to serve as the, as the chaplain here at the prison. Because I had never really entered a prison before until the day I interviewed. Mm. And when the, the gate slams behind you and the locks uh, start changing and shifting, you realize this is a prison. Yeah. Um, so it, it was quite a different experience. Well, I want to talk about your ministry in a moment, but um, let me just ask you, you're a prison chaplain in a state-sponsored facility? Correct. Hamilton, so, yes. Hamilton is a state correctional facility. 
So your like your salary is it paid by uh, taxes to the Alabama state government or by churches or mixture of both? What it is a state government job. All prison chaplains um, at major facilities are are employees of the state of Alabama. Is there like a head chaplain over all the other chaplains in Alabama? There is. There is. Yes. He usually is based from Montgomery is mm-hmm. where he works. Now, tell us specifically about the Hamilton Correctional Facility where you're uh, the chaplain. Sure. Hamilton, it's called A&I for short, but the A and the I stand for the aged and infirmed. And so our population is usually somewhere around 300 inmates. Uh, but those 300 inmates are usually over the age of 35, which is considered aged in prison, uh, or have some sort of infirmity or sickness that requires them to be at the uh, specialized facility. Um, it's really half of the prison is almost like a nursing home. Uh, and the issues that go with elderly and, and aging men um, and then there's another half of the prison that usually has to do the work, work in the kitchen and uh, those areas. So it, it's it's almost like a scene from Grumpy Old Men, except we're all convicted felons there. So it, it can it can be a little bit uh, strange at times. I remember visiting with Chuck Colson once at a, a actually a state penitentiary in Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, which had a hospice as a part of its operation. Mm-hmm. First time I'd seen that. It's the largest and maybe the only accredited, am I right, hospice in the state of Louisiana. So uh, you deal with end-of-life issues at your facility? Very much so. Um, we have a lot of hospice care that takes place. In fact, we have a 21-bed bay that really serves as our, um, I guess you might call it, infirmary or hospital bay in which uh, the inmates are not very mobile, maybe even bed-bound. And so a lot of those guys are most susceptible to death and the, the end-of-life issues. And, and a lot of a lot of the work in those cases are just trying to reconnect with family members. Maybe they realize that it's time that they need to make peace with uh, their family, perhaps even their victims, and then uh, in a lot of cases, uh, God Himself, you know, God as well. Uh, what does a regular, if there is such a thing, a regular week look like for you? What, what's your weekly routine? Well, the first thing you have, when you're entering a correctional facility, no cell phones. Uh, you have to do some of the things that we take for granted each and every day. Uh, you can't bring your lunch in a glass container. Uh, so there's the odd rules of the prison that you have to uh, work with that sounds strange to some. Usually when, when I get there on Monday, uh, we're trying to just catch up on some of the, the issues that have happened over the weekend, who's gotten sick, who had to be hospitalized. And, and so whenever someone's hospitalized, we try to maintain contact with the family members. And then of course, religious requests, religious services begin during the week as well. And so administrating church services, administrating uh, inmate Bible studies, uh, and gathering those groups together is is also a large portion of the week. And then, unfortunately, we do deal with a lot of death at our facility. So uh, trying to arrange for funeral arrangements, trying to inform the family, and just bringing them up to date on uh, on the issues that are, are going on in the lives of the inmates uh, is also a big part of 
of the ministry. I think you've had some experiences of uh, being called to preach funerals, to be at the bedside of people who were nearing death, uh, maybe who didn't have a pastor or a church connection. Absolutely. And and those are the hardest, uh, probably the most disappointing aspects of the ministry is um, there are some men that have passed away at Hamilton A&I that no one knows, no one cares to know because of their own actions created the situation they uh they had family members that really had turned their back on them and they had absolutely no one to notify of their death and that you know even though their criminal actions it does create tension and ill will you would like to think that there's someone out there that wants to know you have died but uh there have been a few instances where there just isn't anyone to inform that uh their family member or their friend has passed away what do you say at a funeral of someone like that uh the funerals actually take place at limestone correctional facility and in those cases um the there's an inmate team at that prison facility they dig the grave uh and then the chaplain there at limestone will actually perform those services um and the families are invited in but of course in this case uh they're actually it would just be the chaplain and the you know the inmates there that that were assisting with the graves so there's actually a cemetery that's designated for the inmates who pass away that is correct. There, there are three cemeteries, one near Huntsville, one near uh, Montgomery, and then uh, one near Mobile as well. Um, and if the family cannot, for some reason, if they can't afford it, or uh, in some cases the family does not want to take on the responsibility for burial, uh, then the state will have to, to bury the inmate in, in our cemeteries. Now, among your other duties, I know you also are involved in teaching. Uh, we uh, what we, we now call the Ministry Training Institute. Mm-hmm. Say a little bit about your work in that program and how you go about preparing to teach in such a place. Sure. In 2009, as I was just getting started uh, as the chaplain, uh, I really wanted a program with classes that could equip and train some of the men there in the facility to be almost ministers because in whatever setting I think we are called to be in, I think God always raises up leaders. And I realized after working with, with the population that there really were leaders that needed training that could almost serve in a pastoral role to each other. And I reached out to Jim Pounds in 2009, who was, it was then called the Extension Division. And uh, he introduced me to the Extension Division and what the program, how it worked in prison. And I was floored because it was, it was already in place in a couple of other prisons as well as federal facilities. So we jumped on board as soon as we could. And so you're teaching in the, in such courses. What's your curriculum? What do you teach? The old curriculum, we basically got to choose which classes we wanted to take. And so I would work with our guys and and kind of teach something that they were interested in, which usually centered around biblical studies. We've studied Isaiah. We've studied uh, Paul's letters. We studied uh, the Gospels, Jesus and the Gospels. And then we tackled Revelation uh, one semester as well. And then this, the most recent class, we, we looked through uh, the book of Acts in two semesters. Uh, and the guys really enjoyed that. But 
as you said, it has now changed to the Ministry Training Institute. And I approached our our guys, our core guys that were really involved in the classes and introduced them to the new program and the curriculum that involves textbooks, it involves term papers that they write themselves. And they were a little bit intimidated by that, but I, I encouraged them. And, and Dr. Kevin Blackwell, he came down, he visited as well. And so this uh, upcoming semester in August, we are going to begin the Ministry Training Institute curriculum. Uh, so our guys are a little bit nervous, but I think they will be fine. Sure, you'll help them along. Uh, let me ask you this. In, in your dealing with these, these inmates, um, teaching the Bible and so forth, uh, doing spiritual counsel, uh, if someone decides they want to become a Christian, how do you how do you respond to that? That is, it's essentially just like uh, if someone approached us in a church, in a church setting, or maybe uh, on a, in an evangelism effort. Uh, we basically, I'm allowed at that point to introduce them to the faith. As a government employee, I can't proselytize and push my faith, but when they're open and they're searching and they ask for for direction that is when then i would share the gospel with them and and we have a baptistry as well at our prison uh it's a mobile unit that we can move into the sanctuary and uh when that person commits to christ we are then uh they are then baptized now you've talked about working with men and of course you are in an all-male facility but are there such uh analogous facilities for female prisoners. Yes. The, the state of Alabama has three correctional facilities for females. Uh, Tutwiler, which is near Montgomery, and then Montgomery Women's Center as well, which is almost a work release. And then Birmingham work release uh, is also a female correctional facility. And it's a really different setting than male, male correctional facilities. Um, Do you know if there are efforts to care for aged and infirm people in the women's prisons? I think that takes place at Tutwiler. Um, Tutwiler is the biggest of those prisons, and that takes place there. What is your biggest challenge uh, doing this work of prison ministry as a chaplain? Uh, My biggest challenge is almost theological, just to be honest, because forgiveness of sins is easy in a suburban church. It was easy for the teenagers that I work with in Talladega. But the message of forgiveness of sins is is quite difficult and different when you meet convicted felons, especially more violent crimes. And you, so, you mean that they are reluctant to receive forgiveness, or it's more difficult to explain to them the forgiveness that we have in, in Jesus Christ? They are they don't see how their actions can be forgiven. And just to be honest, it's kind of tough on my end as well to to view someone's sins who to us look so heinous as being forgiven. But 1 Corinthians 15.3 doesn't change. Christ died for our sins. Um, and so once I get past that, uh, or once the minister who goes into the prisons can get past that Christ died for all of our sins, then I think the inmate, I think they start to believe the message as well. You and I are recording this conversation during the week before Holy Week. Mm-hmm. So in a few days from now, we will be experiencing uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, leading up to Easter Sunday. So this is very much in our minds and hearts right now to think about what is the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross mm. uh, for all kinds of people. And, of course, there were he was not the only one crucified. There were two thieves 
we call yes. we call one of them the good thief, but there's not much good about him in the right. Bible. You know, right. he was just a thief who happened to be there and responded uh, in that moment, dying moment, to the love and grace uh, of Jesus Christ. You know, this is the gospel, isn't it? That we're called to proclaim to everybody, everywhere, no exceptions. It is absolutely, which gets really to the heart of why prison ministry and how I've. Sort of, this has probably been the area that I most spent the time thinking about my vocation. Um, because Jesus did say, uh, to the sheep, uh, in the story of Matthew that he says, he says, you, I was in prison and you visited me. Mm-hmm. And Hebrews 13, 3 says to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Um, and so there is some biblical justification for ministering in the prisons, but there's also, in my, in my opinion, a historical purpose, because in my opinion, uh, during the apostolic age, the church fathers, even to some extent the Reformation, uh, the Christianity, the Christian faith that we possess now is really birthed inside prisons and because of arrests. So I think there's definitely a lot of reasons, but there's also a personal reason as well, because a lot of people wonder why prison ministry or why should I go there? Why should I minister there? I was a youth minister in Talladega and the first youth trip I went on, uh, the van driver was, was a man who uh, met me in Pell City. I was living here in Birmingham, and then we went on our trip. And this man worked with me for a couple of years uh, in the youth ministry, and then he moved on. He and his family moved on. And so fast forward about five years later, my wife and I are watching TV, and this man's name comes across the television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had gotten into some trouble and, and had almost died in a police chase. And this man that helped me in youth ministry was there for two years is now at my prison. Um, and so you'd never know just where a person will end up and be the man. He comes from a good family. Uh, he was obviously a church member, but unfortunately, like many of our, of, of our population, Substance abuse, addictions that they just couldn't manage, they couldn't hide, sort of started controlling their decision-making, started controlling their lives. And it doesn't take but just a few bad decisions, and you can find you can end up in a prison. Uh, and so it's odd that we I ministered with this man in my church, and now I ministered to this man at the prison. So there are plenty of reasons why why we should be involved in the in the prisons, and there's a lot of ways to help as well. But I want to ask you about that, particularly you've been a pastor, now you're a prison chaplain. Uh, how can churches, local congregations, get involved in a meaningful way with you, with other ministers uh, who work in prisons? Absolutely, there's there's a lot of effort that needs to be done in the prisons. Um, I know my budget that I work with uh, in the chapel is zero, and most other prisons uh, in the state of Alabama are zero. Um, I think it is absolutely vital that churches volunteer uh, in correctional facilities. Everything that is in our chapel in Hamilton is donated 100 percent um if if it's not donated to us we we don't get it because the budget just isn't there uh to buy religious supplies 
So conducting religious services is obviously one of the main ways that churches get involved. Uh, I think at our prison, we have church five times a week, and it usually takes place at night from 6 to 730. Uh, and we have a variety of ministries and churches locally, and then we've even had some come as far as Atala uh, to come in and host a religious service. Uh, but there's a lot of other, and, and what I think, I'm not downgrading the religious service, but one of the most important services that churches can provide is to actually bring community into the prisons. What do you mean by that, bring community? By necessity, they're sentence that the judge gives them uh, sort of sequesters them away from society. Yeah, we take them community. out of community. That is right. We don't want them coming back. That That's is what, exactly it, what right. we say to them, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, 95% of the people that the judges you know, sequester in a prison, they end up coming back into our community. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't learned the skills uh, to help them live in community in prison, then it it stands without reason that they're going to sort of repeat the same offenses. And so a buzzword right now in in prisons is reentry. And if churches come in and connect the community to the prisoner, it makes their transition so much easier. If churches provide mentoring, if churches give uh, life skills such as, you know, job training, uh, perhaps even addiction recovery, all of those things that help make a person whole again uh, and help them live in community, being a better father, a better mother, as well as I think we're helping them be a better Christian as well. I mentioned my work with Chuck Colson, you know, one, one of his great burdens and really a tremendous ministry grew out of this concern for the children of prisoners and the families of prisoners. We call it Angel Tree. Absolutely. I'm very familiar with Angel Tree. We have a lot of our population is older, but we still do have some fathers uh, who are there. Uh, and every year about, I would say it's sometime in the summer, uh, they begin filling out applications for their children to receive Christmas gifts uh, from personally from them. And Chuck Colson's group, Prison Fellowship and Angel Tree, they do a fantastic job in getting all those applications from across the nation and just committing to giving children a Christmas present from their father. Uh, it's really impactful. Now, David, uh, you're speaking on the Beeson podcast to all kinds of people, uh, laypersons, pastors, uh, theologians even listen to us. Speak specifically perhaps to someone who may be seeking a vocation in ministry. Would prison chaplaincy be something you would commend to them to be sensitive to the spirits leading in their life? Uh, absolutely. It has been one of the most rewarding uh I would say, adventures that I have been on in my faith. Now, when I first committed to Christ and then committed to the ministry and felt like that he was calling me towards, prison ministry wasn't on the radar. And yet when I just got my first taste of it, uh, I was addicted. I mean, it, it is it is absolutely thrilling to host a religious service and you hear the inmates coming up the steps uh, coming in the doors, there's a buzz, almost almost like a Sunday morning buzz. And the guys that are coming to the chapel really want to be there. It is a great place to, to learn to preach because they are so encouraging. They are so enthusiastic that someone is there. Uh, I, I would just say once you get started, it is hard to quit. 
Well, David, we're almost out of time. I've so much enjoyed this conversation with you, and I wonder if there's a particular story or incident from your ministry you'd like to share with our listeners as we come to the end of our program today. One of the first ministries that that we started as I started, because I was learning just as the inmates were learning uh, about the chapel program, uh, I began a morning devotion. We we met once a week on Wednesdays, and I decided that we would simply read through the Psalms. And my first experience with that, I was taken away as to how real the Psalms sounded coming from a prisoner incarcerated. I was used to the Psalms sort of having to come through the filter of suburbia and, and spiritualizing the Psalms and the battle language and fight against those who fight against me as sort of having to bring it into my experience. But it was almost as if King David himself were speaking through these prisoners because the, the context that they're in um, is pretty real and the Psalms are an appropriate book. And so what I have done, I have actually brought my Gideon donated prison Bible. And when I heard the 32nd Psalm read, I was, I was almost brought to tears because it was so real. And so what I would like for us all to do, if, if you don't mind, is to sort of go into Hebrews 13, 3. Remember those who are in prison, uh, as though in prison with them. And what I would like for you to do, is to wake up in the morning in a place you don't want to be in. And everything there reminds you of your guilt. Everything there reminds you that you are a guilty party of a crime. Your bed, your shower, your clothes, even the people you wake up next to, the razor you shave your face with, the toothbrush you are given to brush your teeth, Everything about your day begins with you're guilty. The jobs you go to, the food you're served, everything about your day says you're guilty. You're guilty. Each and every day of your incarceration, there's no weekends, there's no holidays. Every day you live with everything stating that you're guilty. And then you read Psalm 30, the 32nd Psalm, which says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. And then the, the last verse, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Prison is not a happy place, but once a person comes to the gospel and Psalm 32 becomes a reality in their life, they can become joyful. And they go from guilty to being declared upright in heart. And that is the most rewarding thing that I think prison ministry offers uh, the minister or anyone interested in, in becoming involved with a prison or a correctional facility. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Chaplain David Smith. 
He is the chaplain at the Hamilton Aged and Infirm Correctional Facility in Hamilton, Alabama. He is a graduate of Beeson Divinity School and in 2011 received the Beeson Divinity School Most Distinguished Alumnus of the Year Award. Thank you, David, for this conversation and for your ministry among the least, the last, and the lost. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.